The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Princess Cruises, Royal Princess this week. It was a 15-night cruise from the West Coast over to Hawaii and back to the West Coast again. It was also a Christmas and New Year's cruise, so going to hear all about that here in just a little bit. But first, staff writer Richard Sims on Deck with Cruise News. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. A sad story off of Valiant Lady from Virgin Voyages. Yeah. Earlier this week, a passenger on Valiant Lady fell from her balcony um, down to Deck 7, which is a promenade deck. There's not a lot of information as to exactly how this happened there's a lot of speculation but you know we really don't get into that kind of stuff here um she received medical attention but was unable to be revived the ship had only just left miami uh like a couple hours earlier so they basically turned around and went right back to port uh the valiant lady has now resumed its six-day western caribbean itinerary which had to be adjusted a little bit because they missed the first call of Roatan by the time that, you know, they had to, they had to make adjustments to make up for the fact that they had to go back to Miami, take the time to deal with the situation there and then move forward. The sailing, the sailing is still scheduled to visit Costa Maya, Mexico and Bimini. It's been reported that guests on board are being given a 100% future cruise credit to make up for the missed port, as well as the fact that, you know, this is a very traumatic thing that they experienced. Even if you don't see it yourself, it's just kind of a, a disturbing thing to know that this went on on your cruise. We don't, however, have confirmation of that as we record this, but um, it does, from everything we know about Virgin Voyages, seem like something that they would be very likely to do. And it looks like a Gulf Coast cruise port is off to a great start for 23. Galveston is doing gangbusters. We've heard more and more and more out of Galveston over the last few months. You know, it it used to be that there was like one ship that sailed there like, you know, three months out of the year. But now they're definitely heading for a record again. They, They have had 71 cruise sailings in February, which is up over 20% from last year. They recorded 521,503 what they call passenger movements, which means either embarkations or disembarkations in February. Um, They're estimating that they're going to see 355 cruise ships in the port this year, which will be a new record. Now, granted, it's not like they're breaking a record from 15 years ago. This record is from last year, uh, which was they, they passed a million cruise passengers last year so it looks like they're going for even more this year which as they're welcoming more ships and bigger ships should you know it's safe to assume that not only will they break the record this year 
But as new ships will be arriving, they will probably on, be on track to do the same or better next year, I would think. Yeah, it seems a lot is happening out there with, uh, well, they're going to have Carnival Jubilee later on this year in December, I believe. And then also uh, MSC Cruises is doing a sustainability study to try to build a big complex out there to put some MSC ships in the Gulf Coast. And when you look at just even just, say, Jubilee, I mean, even just look at that coming through once a week, say, look at how many people that adds over the course of a year. So, yeah, they're yeah. definitely on firing on all cylinders out there. This is a first for the cruise industry and all you can cruise pass. A sort of all you can cruise pass. <laughs> um, so this is from the folks at Margaritaville at Sea, and they're offering a pass that costs $899 a year and sort of kind of gives you unlimited cruising for the rest of the calendar year. It expires on December 31st. There are some catches. So it is $899 a year, like I said. Um, you do also, so so the way it works is, you have to call within 24 to 72 hours of when you want to sail. If they have a stateroom available, which is a, you know, that's the, that's one of the catches here. If they have a stateroom available, they will give it to you. You will not be assigned your actual stateroom until you arrive at the port, but it will be an inside or an ocean view. It does not include suites. Once you get there, you have to pay the booking fee which is $19.99 per cabin. And then you also are responsible for, of course, the taxes, fees, and port excursions, which come, which they estimate coming in at $94.40 per person. So that's around $220 you're paying for each trip on top of the $900 that you're spending to buy the pass. Now, you cannot book consecutive back-to-back -back sailing. So, for example, if you want to go on the Monday sailing that comes back Wednesday morning. You can't then turn around and get on Wednesday. You have to book again separately. Um, you can't book as a single guest. You have to have two people in that stateroom. If you don't, then you have to pay the dreaded single supplement, which is $159 on top of um, the fees and all of that. So, you know, it really depends. If you live in that area and you're going to sail fairly often, say two or three times a month, and it's worth the, you know, $220 or whatever per sailing to do it. That's not a bad, that's not a bad idea. I think the problem will become sort of with people who do what I did a few years ago with Walt Disney World. I bought this annual pass, which is basically what this is. It's an annual pass. I bought the annual pass thinking, oh, I will definitely go to Disney World like three times, four times this year. I'll get my money's worth out of it. And then I didn't, <laughs> you know, so, you know, look at it. And if it seems like a good deal for you, if you live in that area or in that area often enough that you think you would, you know, say two times a month, get use out of this, um, you know, then it might be worth looking into. Now, I did do an actual mock booking to see what the price would be. And in that case, I was able to book a inside room for $244.80 plus $188 in port fees, which was a grand total of around $433. So each cruise, you know, and they vary based on when you're going and all of that, but say around $400 to $450. In this case, you're buying a $900 pass for the year and then paying, you know, the $220 per cruise. So that's how the numbers break down. It's yeah. important to note 
this is not an all-inclusive cruise. This does not include, you know, like your your drinks. You can buy a drink package where they they sell, I think it's 10 coupons for $99, that kind of thing. But it is not all-inclusive. And it's really important to make sure that when you buy the pass, you understand that, that there are, you know, going to be expenses on board that are not covered. So like someone from like myself, it wouldn't be worth it because I don't have all the time in the world. But if you're like recently retired or retired and just want to tool around and go to the Freeport and back a few times this year or maybe even several times, it might be good for you. Yeah, totally. It really depends on the person and the schedule. It also depends on how much you like that particular ship. You know, some people love that ship. Other people have Mm -hmm. not really liked it and thought that they kind of cheaped out on the makeover into a Margaritaville type thing. So it really is also going to depend on how much you like the vibe of that crowd that that attracts. But if all of that is sort of in your wheelhouse, you know, or say you have friends who come to visit a lot. Well, let's say one friend because you really only can put one. Well, actually, that's not true. I was going to say you can only put one other person in the room. You can put two other people in the room. Um, up to four guests, it's just then you have to pay, you know, added fees and things like that. But if you have friends who come to visit fairly regularly and you're like, you know what, when my friends come to visit, this is something we'd like to do. It would also work there because you don't have to always take the same person or people. You do have to always have two people in the room, but you don't necessarily have to always take the same person. There you go. So uh, Disney's been in the news a lot lately. We had last week, we talked about their Lighthouse Point, the private destination coming to uh, into play here. And we also talked about the Global Dream, which is going to be the new Disney ship that they're kind of uh, revamping and putting it over in Asia. And now we have um, an update on their next ship rolling out. Yeah, this is the Disney treasure. They had their um, coin ceremony where uh, a newly minted coin is placed under the keel as a symbol of good fortune um, for the vessel. This uh, particular coin features an etching of Captain Minnie Mouse in, and, you know, she's got a special outfit that she's wearing that I'm willing to bet they will be selling once that ship ship starts set sail. Uh, The ship is going to start sailing in 2024, and it'll be the second of three new ships that they've got planned between now and 2025. The first was The Wish. Uh, Next up is The Treasure, and we don't know the name of the third ship yet. They are all in the Wish class. This is separate from the other ship that we were talking about that they bought and that will be going over to Singapore. This this is – these three ships are completely separate from that. Uh, this there's not an awful lot is known about what will be featured on the Disney Treasure as of yet, except this. We do know that the statue in the atrium, you know, Disney ships have these gorgeous, gorgeous main hall atriums, and they always have a statue of a character or characters in them. And in this case, it will be Jasmine and Aladdin riding the magic carpet, which is kind of in keeping with the theming that we've been told about for this ship, where it's um, sort of sort of about adventure and setting sail on adventures and that kind of thing. So it'll be kind of cool. So over the past, I guess what, couple of months, two to three months, we keep talking about all these changes that were going to happen on April 1st. We were getting emails saying, is this real or is this an April Fool's joke? So we kind of, we rounded up the big changes that are now in effect. And what are they? It is true. April 1st was not April Fool's Day. We got some good things going into effect, some not so good things going into effect. So here's the rundown of how things changed in the cruise industry on April 1st. Uh, so 
first was uh, the one we've been warning people about for a while, and that is Carnival Cruise Line boosted their gratuities by $1.50 per person per day, which is not insignificant. Hopefully, people heard us talking about this over the last month or two months or three months and got those gratuities paid so that they were sort of, you know, grandfathered in before the new rates kicked in. On the plus side, April 1st also saw Carnival bringing back the very popular Behind the Fun Tour. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a chance to go like backstage to all the places you never get to go to, you know, all those signs that say crew only. Well, for a couple hours, you get to be crew and you get to go explore all these different areas. I mean, not like they're letting you run rampant around the ship. You do have someone taking you around and showing you things. Uh, it was, you know, it's something that they dropped uh, but because of COVID and it, it, people have been clamoring for it and it's finally back. It costs anywhere from 55 to $95 per person, depending on the ship. And, and again, depending on the ship, it lasts from about two hours to three and a half hours, but it is a really cool tour for cruise lovers. It's also a really cool gift. Like if you're traveling with say, like if I was taking my dad on a carnival ship, um, my dad doesn't have a lot of interest in many of the things that would be going on on the ship, but he would be 100% into getting to go behind the scenes and see things, you know, behind the scenes. That's, that's, um, so I think it makes a great gift if you're traveling with somebody who, you know, you want to do something a little special with. Then that's Carnival. So then over at Norwegian, they kicked off April by returning to the e-muster drills. Regular listeners know that a couple months ago, Norwegian said, hey, listen, we know that the e-muster drills are way more popular than the in-person thing, but we're going to go back to the old way of doing things. To me, it was never really completely clear on why they decided to do this, um, especially knowing how popular they the e-muster drill is. But they heard from enough people about how unhappy they were that they said, you know what? We're going to go back. So they started on April 1st, rolling it out across the fleet. It won't, didn't necessarily go into effect on all ships on April 1st, but as of April 1st, they have been slowly but surely returning to the much more popular, much easier e-muster drill. Uh, another change is this one kind of surprises me that this wasn't in effect before. So Royal Caribbean and her sister line celebrity have added a new layer of credit card protection. When you book something with them, you have to provide that little three digit CVC number from the back of your card. You know, it's the one that whenever you're trying to order something over the phone, they ask for it and you have to flip it over and like squint and try and find the little number. Uh, I, like I said, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do this before because most places that take credit credit card payments, if you are um, like doing it over the phone or online, they do ask for that number. But this basically came about because, uh, in part, Royal Caribbean was embroiled in a little bit of a, well, kind of a big case where a passenger used eight different stolen credit cards in order to book not just a cruise, but like, you know, $100,000 worth of stuff associated with the cruise. So needless to say, I think they kind of looked at that and said, hmm, is there a way that we can make this a little bit safer? I still don't understand how she used eight different cards and nobody caught on, but, and I 
don't necessarily understand how having the CBC number would make a difference because you have to assume she probably had those cards at some point and could have flipped them over and gotten the CBC number. But anyway, that is now the case. When you book with Royal, you will need to make sure that you have your credit card in hand so that you can flip it over and get that little CBC number. The last two big changes that went into effect on April 1st both involve COVID protocols. Luxury cruise line Ponant, and am I pronouncing that right, Doug? Is it Ponant? It's a Ponant. Ponant. Okay. See, I'm. You know, I need them all to have really simple names like Virgin Voyages. <laughs> uh, so Ponant dropped their vaccine requirement as of April first, and. The Turks and Caicos Islands, which are obviously incredibly popular among cruises, especially Grand Turk, they are welcoming unvaccinated guests for the first time since the world went to since the world went to hell in a handbag. So this is basically one of the last holdouts of those islands to say, you know, before you could go and ships could go there, but if you were unvaccinated and allowed to sail on the ship, you weren't allowed to get off the ship in the Turks and Caicos. Now, as of now, you officially will be able to. So that's, you know, good news. I mean, there's a little bit of bad news sprinkled in there, but most of it was all good news that kicked off as of the beginning of the month. And two things to add here, just for context, with the credit card payment and how she had different cards from different people. I know, like when I was in college and we were doing group cruises with like friends during spring break, we could all call Carnival and give our own we're all in the same room, but we could give our own credit card for our balance. Right. So, I didn't think about that. That and, does make sense. Yeah. And then also um, the Skypad, which Royal Caribbean a couple of weeks ago said they were getting rid of. We know we talked about it and um, about the lawsuit they had back in 2019. But we're starting to see, at least on Odyssey of the Seas, they've turned it into um, like a ladder ball and a pickleball, uh, not pickleball, but a uh, cornhole area. And then, of course, Mariner of the Seas will be back here in Florida later on today. And I'm sure Royal is going to announce their new thing on that when it gets back into port, too. So uh, kind of a, a kitty play area for now, but we'll see what they actually decide to do with that space. Well, you know, the, the, the kitty play areas are very popular and certainly Royal Caribbean dealing with as many families as they do. You know, they really are making a big push into the family entertainment area. I mean, you look at Icon and that entire new neighborhood is basically devoted to mm -hmm. um, a space that families can spend together, you know, whether they're little kids or grandma. So that is definitely in their wheelhouse. Staff writer Richard Sims, as always, thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. As always, glad to be here. Do you have a story or a tip to report? Let us know. Email tips at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. 
Earlier this year, Kurt took a 15-night cruise aboard Princess Cruises Royal Princess, and he joins us on the show to talk all about it. How you doing, Kurt? Thanks very much, Doug. This is a heck of a cruise, buddy. You got to do Christmas, New Year's, and Hawaii all in one cruise. Talk about the perfect trifecta. Give me some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to take this 15-nighter? To be honest, it was mostly driven by the fact that we had time off from school. My wife's a teacher. Um, I also work in the district, so we kind of wanted to do something that would kind of take a long vacation. We've always kind of thought about going to Hawaii, but just the airfare and just the flight there was kind of like, you know, kind of expensive. So we're like, I saw this princess cruise pop up back around Memorial Day weekend yet in 2022. And I said, hmm, that sounds kind of interesting. I mean, it's a long time to be at sea. Uh, we always kind of wanted to do like a longer cruise, like a transatlantic or Mediterranean. I'm like, but you know, it's Hawaii, Christmas time, holiday season. Felt like it was kind of a, a neat opportunity. So we decided to book it. Made us kind of nervous being away from home, though, over the holidays, just with family and stuff. But uh, we celebrated early, so it was, uh, you know, kind of stressful leading up to the cruise because you're trying to get everything done. But uh, it was something we just kind of wanted to try a longer cruise. I'm glad we did. What, uh, what part of the U.S. do you live? We are in the Chicago area. So okay. that weekend we flew out. We actually flew out on Wednesday the 21st at night. Uh, and Chicago got hit with a massive snowstorm. Tons of flights were canceled. I think pretty much all throughout the Midwest, lots of flights were canceled. So we flew out Wednesday night. And then by Thursday morning, about 930 is when they started canceling a lot of the flights. So we definitely flew out at, flew out at a good time. Yeah, and fun fact, I missed Christmas in Chicago this year because of that. Three times got canceled in a row, finally gave up. Yeah, lots of folks, I think, had you know plans to do families and uh, other cruises and stuff, and I heard a lot of uh, people's plans were disrupted, which was yeah. stinks when Mother Nature kind of takes over like that. Yeah, for sure. So you made your way from Chicago over to San Francisco to catch the ship. Any pre-cruise time or anything like going over to Alcatraz or anything before the sailing? We wanted to, um, we just kind of, we, we got in super late in San Francisco that first, that Wednesday night. And I'm actually glad we stayed at the airport hotel, the Hyatt, Grand Hyatt. Um, it was pretty pricey, but to be honest, it was probably one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed at. Um, it was just super convenient to get off the plane, grab your luggage, and then take uh, San Francisco's uh, airport train, whatever they call it. it. had a few stops and then it went right to the airport hotel, checked in and, got a good night's sleep and then woke up, uh, you know, kind of chilled in the lobby for a little while. And we were getting kind of anxious, like, ah, eh, we kind of want to take our Uber and get over to the cruise terminal. With the ship being Royal Princess and part of the medallion class, was your like medallion sent to you before the cruise and you're like customized and everything for you? Yeah, we really didn't customize them. I know you had that option. I just <laughs> didn't want to spend the extra money for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we did get the medallions um, sent to us probably about two weeks prior to leaving. I've seen people on Facebook groups and things. They say, oh, you know, our medallions arrived. It seems super early. Ours came right, probably just right about two weeks before the cruise. And then speaking of the medallion, then you go to embark the ship. How involved is that in your embarkation process? Like you have to have it out and it just, is all your info already in there where you're basically just walking right onto the ship after security? Yeah. Um, I want to say it was, they asked you if you had it. They made, they didn't really verify you know, they didn't scan it or anything, but they did make you verify that you had it in your possession and not like in a carry-on bag or in a checked piece of luggage. So they did ask that. 
And then I want to say at the initial part, like in the health screening area, uh, part of the cruise terminal, they, they made you tap it. And then I think we tapped it once again, once we got on board. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much your lifeline the whole 15 days we're on the ship. I mean, you don't really go anywhere without your medallion. How many minutes would you say from the curb to the ship? Maybe 15 minutes. We were so thoroughly impressed with that cruise terminal. You know, the, the traffic going there was kind of just slow because of that part of, that was actually our first time in San Francisco, but there's just lots of traffic lights leading up to the, I think it was Pier 27 we sailed out of. Kind of slow traffic-wise, but once we got out of our Uber, had tons of people out there directing you where to go. Contracted luggage services team took our bags, gave them a small tip, and then we proceeded up the escalators uh, right into the green lane. Uh, there was like literally nobody waiting in line at all. They had lots of agents ready to assist people, hopped right up, talked to an agent, went through that process in probably two to three minutes, walked all the way down to the end where um, they then scan you to board, and it was literally probably 10 minutes at most that we spent in that cruise terminal. Wow, that's impressive. So you make your way on board Royal Princess. What were your first impressions of the ship? I had watched a lot of YouTube videos ahead of time, people travel blogging on the ship, so I seemed like I kind of knew where I was, but it's always that first initial, like, seeing it in person is totally different. So, And I want to say we entered in the crooner's bar, and I thought it was interesting um, that they... So Crooners was on deck six, I want to say. And so I thought it was an interesting entry point because you realize that that's kind of a, a you know usable space at night. It becomes a club, but they move all the furniture out of the way and um, you enter through the Crooners bar. Initially, they had all the welcome home or the uh, welcome banners in the atrium. Everything was decorated for Christmas. I thought it was really elegantly decorated. They had lots of garland and the uh, Christmas tree in the atrium, very nicely appointed ship. I mean, my ex- expectations were, you know, things were going to be kind of worn. Not that it's an old boat, old ship, but I mean, it's what about 10 years old, 10, 11 years old, yeah, 10 years. So I thought, you know, things are going to be kind of worn, but everything, I mean, I will say very well maintained, uh, very clean, just overall, I mean, just very, very impressed with the decor and everything. If you like that classic kind of elegance definitely was very impressed what kind of stateroom did you have for this 15 night cruise and what were your thoughts throughout we had a aft sort of it was like mid-aft balcony just a standard balcony stateroom e709 so we're deck eight or they call it the i forgot what e stands for what that whatever they call oh, emerald deck emerald 709 was our stateroom it was uh Good stateroom. I mean, your basic type balcony, not too big. Um, I will say they have a decent amount of storage. The closet space was, I mean, for a 15-night cruise, um, even any cruise, we like to just, you know, our first, when we get on the boat, we like to empty our suitcases out and kind of stuff all of our clothes in the drawers and hang everything up just to make it seem like we're living there. I mean, we were going to be there for 15 days. That way you're not living out of your suitcase. So empty out all the suitcases, throw them under the bed, and just kind of make yourself uh, more at home. The only thing I, I wouldn't say complained, the only thing I wasn't overly fond of was the balcony because on deck eight, you overlook uh, the promenade deck. So when you look over your balcony, you don't really see the, I mean, you can see the water if you look out, but immediately below you, you have the promenade deck. So if you want to have, you know, the ability to kind of look over and see the water, probably go up a little bit higher, like deck nine or 10. 
That way you don't have that obstruction of the promenade. And it was not booked as an obstructed view balcony. Um, however, rooms down the row from us in the same, you know, in our hallway would have been obstructed because they have lifeboats um, in front of the rooms. So we didn't have a lifeboat, but we did have deck seven below us. And, you know, they had the lounge, the sun loungers out there. So you were always kind of people watching, if you will, if you were looking over the balcony during the day. Let's talk about the food and dining on this 15-night adventure, and we'll start at the buffet first. How was the layout, and what did you think? It's kind of split up into two different sections. They have the quick eats and desserts section, and then the the bigger area, which is the buffet. We, I'll be honest, we didn't go up there much. We would go up there sometimes to just grab like some fruit or and stuff for breakfast, coffee, but we really didn't hang out up there a whole lot. We'd sometimes go up there for lunch. We never ate dinner there once. Food was decent. I'd say on other lines, I, I'm allowed to say, like, I feel like Celebrity's Buffet was 10 out of 10. Princess, I'd probably give a 7 out of 10. I just wasn't overly impressed, but we also are not big buffet people either. Um, we're more dining room kind of people, and we definitely like to check out the specialty dining when we're on a ship. So, yeah, it's your basic, you know, international stations and carved meats and, you know, lots of desserts and stuff. But it was just always very crowded up there, too, especially since we had so many sea days, I feel like, and the weather wasn't all that great um, for those sea days. It just seems like a lot of people were kind of chilling inside, especially in the buffet area. How about the main dining room on this ship? Is Princess still doing the set dining times, or is it all just open dining? Yeah, so when we booked, um, I was trying to book, because I kind of like having the set dining time, but that did not work out. Um, The only... Option was 8 p.m. That was too late for us. So we just did anytime dining. Um, Once we got on board, though, I was able to just make a repeating dining reservation every night for like 5 o'clock. So I don't know. We're we're on Midwest time, Central time. So I feel like that's like our normal time to eat dinner. We're not, like Mm -hmm. I said, we didn't want to eat that late. Very easy to make make the dining reservation every night. So was my wife and I. And then we also traveled with my brother. He had his own reservation and stateroom and... They were able to accommodate us like we just, you know, put in three of us wanted to eat dinner five o'clock every night. And we pretty much ate every night at five at Concerto. Nice. Um, other than I think we did a total of maybe four specialty uh, dining reservations. Okay. I think we ate at Sabatini's twice, Crown Grill once. And then we did the Super Tuscan wine experience dinner, which was by far the highlight of the uh the meal experiences on the ship. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the specialty one. So Sabatini's, is that like an Italian steakhouse? Uh, that's just more of an Italian pasta and your typical Italian dishes there. Um, mm-hmm. They do, they did have some steak and then they have really great seafood on the menu. The service there is just top notch. I mean, anybody that's doing a Princess Cruise, I highly recommend Sabatini's. Just don't eat at all that day. Because the amount of food you get is just, uh, it's a lot. And I think, you know, it, you feel bad because you're, you you want to eat everything because it's so great. But when you're served five courses, it's like you, you can't eat every single morsel of each course. So we, we did uh, probably waste some food there, but the service and the food quality was phenomenal. Very, not slow paced in a bad way, but it's just very paced. You know, they're very attentive to you know, the stages you're at in your, your, as you're eating and everything's brought out 
with a really nice presentation. The service we got there is kind of what should be in the main dining rooms as well, or at least close to it. I just, you could definitely tell there was a service gap between the specialty dining restaurants and the main dining room restaurants. That would be my only somewhat complaint is just the, the, the service quality in the main dining room just isn't quite there. And I'm not sure, you know, if that's just due to the new staff since the pandemic, or if it has to do with maybe um, the fact that we didn't have the same waiter every night. It's always somebody new, you know, because on a lot of, a lot of the other cruise lines, you know, you have the same wait staff and you kind of build those relationships with your, your guests. And then, I don't know, I just feel like there was something missing there in the main dining room and princess. And I kind of attribute it to service quality just a tad. That's interesting. The Tuscan wine experience. Now, is that like done in the main dining room or is that done like in a little side of Sabatini's or where exactly is that done? So that was actually done. Um, they've rented out, well, not rented. They uh, um, reserved Sabatini's one night of the cruise. I think it was the fourth, the night of the fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a cover charge of, I think it's around 70 or $80. We actually had it comped to us because of a, a small issue we had. So we did not pay for it, so I couldn't tell you exactly what it costs. But it was uh, it was like a several-course meal. I think it was like a five-course meal, and each course of the meal was paired with a different wine, and they talked about the wine. Um, they had, you know, they used a microphone throughout the whole uh, dining experience, and they talked about where the wine came from, um, why it pairs well with each um, entree, and I mean, some of these wines, I took pictures of all the wines and I you know, was looking them up online. And some of them, I mean, these were high quality wines. Some of them are three, $400 a bottle um, that you got to, now you didn't get a, you know, a huge pour of the wine, but it, enough to, you know, to complement the meal and, and kind of get that full um, experience. And they did a really nice job. Like they would, you, you would have you taste something and then say, okay, now taste it with this Cabernet. And it would just totally enhance the flavor of, what you were eating. Really cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Now, what about the, the complimentary venues like the International Cafe or Alfredo's or Pizza by the Pool, anything like that? We did the Pizza by the Pool several times. I just feel like that was kind of one of the, those, I mean, my wife and I, we were both on a few of the days we had at sea, um, the day before Hawaii and then the three days after Hawaii, uh, we actually had some really nice sea days. So we sat outside a lot more which was nice because the three days leaving San Francisco were pretty foggy, drizzly, and misty outside. So it was nice to be able to, you know, we were in Hawaii, but we were off the ship so much that we almost were like, you know, we'd be on the islands throughout the day and just be like, wow, it's kind of forgot what the ship looked like because you're, you're really just there to sleep at that point. But, uh, yeah, we did uh, spend some time up at the pool and the pizza bar. We did Alfredo's several times. Jackson was our waiter there and was awesome. I wrote to Princess about how great and how much he enhanced our experience. He would flag us down sometimes if he'd see us sitting on the ship and he'd, you know, hey, hey, I got a pizza ready for you. Come on in. Um, just a really great guy. Um, those are the types of people, I mean, that, I mean, I think he said he's been working on the cruise ship for 20 years for Princess and uh, just, you know, got to know the guy really well. So we did Alfredo's. We did uh, almost every morning we would go down to the International Cafe and get uh, a couple of Americanos. Um, so got to know those those staff really well. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was uh, definitely took advantage of a lot of the the uh, dining options and venues on board. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, uh 
that Tuscan experience you did sounds really cool. Yes, that was definitely by far the highlight of the the dining experience on board. It was just um, they definitely pulled out all the stops on that one. And if you could do it, like I said, I think it's probably between sixty seventy dollars, well worth it. Yeah. So let's talk about the entertainment on this fifteen night cruise. Um, how was it throughout the two weeks? The entertainment was good. Um, I will say we are you know we like um, the enrichment things that Princess had. Um, so they, they had, um, Mark Harris, which he's a naturalist on board. And I don't know if he lives on the ship or he just was on for an extended period of time, but, um, he, he'll do these lectures, lectures, um, sometimes an hour a day, might do them two, three times a day. He'll talk on different things like whales, birds, volcanoes, sea turtles, sharks, just on different topics, especially, you know, as you're getting to the Hawaiian islands, kind of things to do and see what things to kind of skip kind of gives you an overview of what to expect when you get there. So those are typically done during the day. It would start as early as like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, and you could go to the Princess Theater and watch those. Um, so we definitely saw him a dozen, I'd say half a dozen times. Um, and then the evening entertainment, we did a handful of shows. We didn't do that many. We did the comedian they had on board. We did the ventriloquist. We did a couple of their stage shows. They were all really well done, I'll be honest. You know, your typical cruise line, yeah, I think they were all unique to the cruise line where they had their own producers kind of produce them, if you will. Yeah, your typical cruise line entertainment, nothing like that blew us away, per se. I still say nothing, no, you know, nightly entertainment beats Disney Cruise Line, but um, it was, you know, it kept us entertained. I wish they would have had more comedians and stuff. We kind of like that maybe like an adult show it later because it seemed like the entertainment kind of died down by 10 o'clock after 10. There wasn't really much going on other than a couple of nights where they would have a couple of game shows and stuff. Holland America does the same thing too. Like after 10 o'clock, the carpets roll up. Right. I mean, I'll be honest. The first few days we were having a hard time staying up past 10 o'clock, but then once you get used to Hawaii time and Mm -hmm. as we were kind of sailing back, we found, especially after new year's Eve, you're celebrating that Hawaii time. Well, it was like 4 a.m. back home by us. So we were like, all right, let's do this. So these last five days of this cruise, we're ready to stay up till like 1 o'clock every night. Yeah. And yeah, I pretty much, the entertainment pretty much is done by 10, 10.30. Gotcha. How were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? Like I said, in San Francisco, the weather was like 55 and rainy the day we sailed away. And that pretty much was the same for the we had four sea days before we arrived at Oahu and it was through the first three sea days were pretty gloomy. A lot of people inside kind of crowded because just nobody was really outside. Lots of, you know, it's kind of hard to find a, a seat in some spots. Everybody just kind of plopped themselves down and had a book or, you know, a lot of, you could tell there were a lot of extended families sailing together because of it being around the holidays so it was pretty crowded. I think they said this ship was at 70 or 75% capacity, which I thought was actually going to be full just because, again, it is the holiday season, but it wasn't. Also, there was always like, it was kind of cold on board too, because people would go in and out and, you know, you're when the ambient outdoor temperature is like 55 degrees, I felt like it would, they just had a hard time keeping the heat in the ship. So a lot of people were wearing their coats and uh jackets and stuff in the common areas inside, uh, which wasn't terrible. Just, you know, I had, this was our, I guess you just have to manage your expectations. We had never been on a cruise where the weather was so cold. 
So it was something new for us. So I think that kind of prepped us if we ever want to do an Alaskan cruise, just keep in mind you're sailing from San Francisco in December, January, and the weather's not great. So yeah. that's, uh, we did have some rough seas as well uh, as we were sailing to Hawaii because we were kind of headed into the wind. So, um, yeah, it was not the greatest weather. Casino on this ship, completely non-smoking, or is there designated smoking areas around certain machines? The main floor of the casino is they, they do allow smoking. Mm-hmm. They don't allow it at the table games, though, but somebody sitting by the slot machine right by the table game could just light up a cigarette and you're going to smell it. So um, they do have a second casino, but it's not really second. It's like off. It's like an offshoot of the main one mm-hmm. that's attached to the sports book. Um, like their sports lounge with the TVs and stuff. They have a whole section of um, non-smoking slot machines there. So we were kind of in there more when we, we would actually chill in that um, sports book lounge quite often Mm -hmm. and um, play the slots there. And that was completely non-smoking. However, they had Churchill's, which is supposed, and this was my one gripe, Churchill's is their cigar lounge, and they have like a humidor inside of Churchill's with cigars for sale, which you could smoke in there. But I don't think I ever saw a single person smoking a cigar in there. They were just smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're going to spend $60 on a cigar, you want to enjoy it and the, you know, the smell and not necessarily smell cigarette smoke at the same time. So I feel like if they want to, I, they should just, you know, encourage smoking outside cigarette smoking that is outside and leave that. Cigar lounge, strictly for cigars. That was my one complaint. Did you get internet on this sailing, and how was it if you did? Yeah, we did. Um, It was usable. I would say they definitely like to throttle their traffic. I'm not sure what what they were doing with it. I use Telegram a lot, which you could barely send pictures and video through that. But if you used iMessage, it worked perfectly fine. I even had a few phone calls using my iPhone and using Wi-Fi calling was fine. FaceTime, I would not even bother trying it. It doesn't work. It's just, you know, very slow and, and jittery. I think the, the average speed, you always got at least like one meg down, uh, you know, if you do the speed test. The uploads struggled significantly. You were lucky if you could get like 500K up. But, um, I mean, it was usable. I mean, there was never a period of time where we didn't have internet. It wasn't fast by any means. Like it wasn't like what you're used to at home, but it was enough to be able to, you know, post on social media, check social media, you know, if you're on TikTok, you know, scroll through TikTok. It was a little sluggish, but I mean, you're at sea. You're what, 1,500 miles away at some point, 2,000 miles away from any Mm -hmm. land. So, I mean, I guess it could have been worse. Right. Yeah. Hopefully within the next uh, several months, these kind of conversations will be in the past because of. Carnival Corporation just announcing that Starlink um, partnership. So hopefully we'll see those yes, implemented throughout that. the year. Yep. So that'll be a, that'll be good. Well, let's talk about the ports of call you went to. This was a 15 night Hawaii cruise. So what we'll do here is uh, give us your first port of call, what you did there, and then just move to the next one. Yeah. So our first port of call was Oahu, Honolulu. So we arrived at like 6 a.m. and uh, we went immediately to Pearl Harbor. And then we, uh, which was awesome. And then we went on a bus that night to Jermaine's Luau, which was uh, the Luau show. So pretty much a action packed day. And then we um, got back to the ship probably about 1030 at night 
And then we were actually uh, docked there overnight in Honolulu. And then the next day, we just kind of did sightseeing. Uh, we had um, none of our, we didn't book any excursions with the cruise line. So everything was just kind of on our own for Oahu. We did a trolley tour. We went up to Diamond Head, which, by the way, you have to have reservations for. And then we just did some uh, walking on Waikiki Beach and um, the uh, downtown Waikiki, which is essentially, which we'd never been. It's the first time in Hawaii, but downtown Waikiki was essentially like a uh, Fifth Avenue in New York with palm trees. So it's interesting. Nice. And then your next port of call? Then we went uh, to Maui, Lahaina was amazing. Uh, we did the uh, whale watching sponsored by the cruise line. So we were actually able to get off the ship right away because it's a tender port. They don't actually dock there. So there's a kind of a long line and a crowded, somewhat of a process getting off the ship because they only allow one tender boat into the harbor at once because of the reef that's there. So it was nice that we had a shore excursion booked that allowed us to get off the ship first. Whale watching was awesome. And then we kind of just chilled in the town there and walked around quite a bit, uh, stopped at a restaurant, had a couple drinks, and then uh, we came back on the ship about five o'clock in the evening. So that was Maui, Lahaina. And then the last day we were at Kona. Um, and that one, we actually had two shore excursions with the cruise line. We did, it was like a city drive, painted church and place of refuge, both really scenic places. Place of Refuge was awesome. I mean, the views, the black sand, the volcanic rock was just incredible. Highly recommend that one um, if you're going to be in Kona. And then the next one we did was the snorkeling at the Captain Cook's Monument. And it was by far the, everybody's kind of raves about that. If you're like into snorkeling, it's one of the best places in the world to snorkel. There's parts of that little area where you can look down 60, 70 feet underwater and it's clear as day and you could see all the way to the bottom. So it was really cool snorkeling experience. I, if you've got any back issues or you're prone to motion sickness, I would definitely skip that one because you're on pretty much a dinghy, a 10 person dinghy for about 45 minutes. As you go about 45 miles an hour out to this reef, uh, to this, uh, snorkeling area. So it's, Kind of intense for some, but uh, we actually really enjoyed it. Very cool. And was there another uh, another port of call in Hawaii? We only had four days in Hawaii. So the two um, in okay. Honolulu, then Maui, and then Kona. And then we had, essentially, we were supposed to have five days back, but uh, we got rerouted due to the storm. Mm-hmm. Did you we were have supposed to... to stop in Ensenada. Okay, so you didn't have to stop there. Right. Gotcha. I guess it was interesting because of the whole Jones Act or the uh, Passenger Services Vessel Act, whatever it's called, where I guess they make special, um, I guess, stipulations for bad weather where you don't have to stop there, I guess, if you can't. Cause, you yeah, know. it was interesting because the whole time we were on, uh, we were booking this, they kept showing Ensenada on the itinerary, and then they would remove it, and then it was back again, and then it was all of a sudden from like 4 to 8 p.m., so we were there for, we were supposed to be there only four hours. And then, yeah, when the storm came through, they just said, no, we're going to come back to San Francisco early. So we actually came back. We were supposed to arrive back into San Francisco on Friday the 6th in the morning. We actually came back Wednesday night the 4th at like 7.30 p.m. So so the ship was essentially docked in San Francisco that last day. And a lot of people actually got off the ship. Mm -hmm. I think there were a lot of locals to San Francisco, so they just went home. Um, or if you wanted to, you could have just treated that as like a port day and go on and off the ship as you please, kind of sightsee. 
Yeah. Um, we didn't because the weather, again, it was just pouring rain. So we were just, we walked around a little bit. We went to the fisherman's wharf and then walked back and we were just soaked. So we just kind of stayed on the ship and kind of enjoyed the last day we were on board there because it wasn't crowded because you could tell a lot of people had gotten off. Yeah. So it sounds like a really simple debark process. Very easy. I would say the easiest, honestly, embarkation and debarkation were the, and this was our, this was my ninth cruise and embarkation, debarkation were the easiest ones I've ever experienced. It was just so smooth and just, uh, I don't know what, what made it so like, I mean, there's still a lot of people on the ship, like getting on, you know, getting off. I'd say, my guess is half of the people probably got off because all day long on when we were docked there on Thursday, the day we were before we were supposed to get off, you just saw tons of people walking off with luggage. So I could see the debarkation, but both were just, I mean, they really have it down. The, the staff are very well informed of where to go. If they're asking, you know, if you ask them questions, just point you in the right direction. Mm, so Very cool. That's great. So any first-time tips to offer, either someone going over to Hawaii or sailing on Royal Princess? Yeah, um, sailing on Royal Princess, if you like that kind of like classic elegance, definitely, uh, I would definitely recommend it. Personally, I've been on my the cruise before this we went on was Celebrities Apex. I just kind of like that a little bit more, just the ambiance and, and whatnot. But um, I still will say for the price we paid to go to Hawaii over the holidays and have a nice you know family vacation, it was definitely worth it. I would definitely get Princess a try. I'm 32. My wife is 29. And we thought we were going to be – I mean, Princess kind of sometimes has this uh, – stereotype of its older people. There definitely was older people, but there were a lot of families on there as well. So I wouldn't, if that kind of is one thing that deters you from, you know, kind of considering princess, it, you know, I don't know if it's just the time we went, but there were lots of kids, there were over 400 and some kids on board, which is very rare for princess from what I hear. Um, lots of families. I like the fact that they actually like, they try to really educate you about the ports you're going to. I thought that the guy that they had on, that did the enrichment talks was very knowledgeable, really enjoyed listening to him. And just the, you know, just the overall, the upkeep of the ship was very impressed for it being somewhat of an older, older ship. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for y'all? Probably being in Maui. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we said, you know, I don't think we would do another 15 day cruise. It was just a lot of sea days, to be honest. I mean, four there, five going back. So you're nine sea days to only be in Hawaii for four days. I don't know if we would ever do another cruise like this on the Pacific Ocean during the winter time because of just the weather. I've used, I'm, I've never we've always done like Caribbean cruises and even some like uh, West Coast cruises in the summertime. So you're just you know the weather thing was kind of a shock to us. Um, so just be you know just you know if you're going to book something like that, just make sure you know what the weather's going to be like. Because we didn't have it. I don't think we had enough warm clothes either. We were just expecting, oh, yeah, we're going to Hawaii, so let's just bring shorts and T-shirts. Uh-huh. So uh, that was kind of kind of uh, the one downside just was the weather. I liked, really liked the itinerary. I might just go back to Maui and stay there for a week next time. Nice. And your final thoughts of Royal Princess? Final thoughts of Royal Princess. The, the staff, very nice some very dedicated crew members on board. I mean, some of the ones I talked to, you know, they're, they might not have been on the Royal princess, but the crew is very dedicated. Sometimes they seem like they're overworked and, you know, they're shorthanded, which they are, but you know, a lot of them, if you get to talk to them, I mean, they're just very nice and caring people. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of them just learn me by name, would yell out at me when I'm walking down in common area or something or at night if we're walking back from a show. So just uh, overall, just really nice, nice staff and um, good food, good drinks, good live entertainment. Just uh, overall, I mean, I would definitely do another Princess Cruise again. We're looking at possibly doing an Alaskan cruise with Princess this summer. So. I had it marked here to ask you about these two things, Kurt, and I totally forgot and overlooked it. So you were on over Christmas and on New Year's Eve going into New Year's. Any special festivities during those times? The New Year's Eve celebration was awesome. I mean, they had, I bet everybody on the entire ship in the atrium, so it was very crowded. I mean, but it was just a blast. They had DJ, uh, DJ Ada was their DJ on board playing songs and getting everybody dancing. There's so many people dancing. What I thought was really impressive um, was the crew interaction. You had all the officers. They actually brought, like the captain brought his family on board, which I didn't realize until New Year's Eve, um, his kids. And then we were just standing by them talking to them. And it was just, uh, they really put on a good show. And I think in all this, I forgot to mention the cruise director, Kareen, best cruise director I've ever experienced on any cruise line, any cruise ship. Um, just super engaging, super friendly, not that like tacky type cruise director, you know, on some other cruise lines, not going to name names, but just overall, you could just tell she really enjoys what she's doing. Just a great entertainment staff. And, uh, but yeah, the new year's Eve celebration was, was awesome. I mean, everybody, they had everybody dancing, people that you could tell probably didn't want to, but they were encouraging them to get on the dance floor, not really the dance floor, but the center of the atrium. And, uh, yeah, we were up till probably one o'clock. They did like a ball drop in the, uh, atrium, uh, Christmas Eve, they did a, a storybook type thing that they read and they had Santa on board on Christmas day, which I thought was really nice. Uh, so all the kids could line up and take pictures with Santa in the atrium and the sleigh that they had there. So, uh, yeah, definitely they had a lot of holiday activities, um, for, you know, to kind of substitute for people being away from home for, for Christmas. So. And also, I think they had Hanukkah nights as well. They had like a menorah set up in the atrium. So I like that as well. Definitely catered to the holidays for people. That was really nice to see. Was there a big spread for the Christmas dinner? Yeah, that was the one thing we, we appreciated too. I mean, I'm a surf and turf type person, I think. Correct me if I'm, I'll have to look back, but I think they had five surf and turf nights. They had it the first formal night and then Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, I believe, and then the last night of the cruise, they also had surf and turf. So I think it was six. Wow! And I've never had lobster that many times on a cruise ship. <laughs> so that was uh, I was very, uh, very impressed and, and uh, pleased with that because I feel like that's kind of like a once a cruise type thing. Yeah. This was the two week. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll get it twice, but yeah. yeah, wasn't expecting it that many times. Yeah, nice treat there. We've been talking with Kurt about his 15 night cruise over to Hawaii and back from San Francisco. Kurt, thank you so much for talking about this sailing on Royal Princess, buddy. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, Doug. I appreciate you and your show. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.